Let's go ahead and bow together for a word of prayer, and then we'll get started with our service. Father, we are so very thankful that uh, we can gather together as believers who have the gospel and we stand righteous in Christ and forgiven and cleansed, and we are so very grateful that we have this treasured position. Father, I pray that tonight as we uh, get into the word of God, that you would uh, bless Brother Braxton as he opens the word, give him clarity, help him to preach the word in a way that uh, is very simple and clear and will speak to our hearts. And I pray that as we have opportunity to sing songs and as we share a few short testimonies, I pray that uh, as a church we'd be very encouraged. We ask all this in Christ's name, amen. All right, good evening. Thanks so much for joining us. Please stand with me and open your hymn books to 343, 343, Springs of Living Water. We're going to sing all three verses. Sing out this evening. Turn back to hymn number 339. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. We'll sing all three verses.
great singing. Let's turn back to hymn number 336. 336, my hope is in the Lord. We'll be singing all four verses of hymn number 336.
<laughs> 482. <laughs> Just remember, kids, our intelligence networks are great. <laughs> 43 in the red book. 43 in the red book. Great and mighty. Ah, what a good one. Great and mighty. I'm sorry. My Jesus fair. second page of the flyleaf, technically third, but my anchor holds. Let's stand. We'll sing the first and the last.
right singing, please be seated. Fifteen years ago, my wife and I came up to Anchor 
uh, in the summer to uh, visit the church and to uh, see if this was the place that the Lord would have us to come and work. We were not yet married. We were coming to visit, and we were going to be getting married in September. And one of the things that really attracted uh, me to Anchor was the fact that there was a history in this church of uh, young men, and uh, I guess however you want to categorize that, guys who had uh, finished Bible college. Uh, some of them had finished their seminary training. Some of them were in the midst of seminary training. Uh, but they were men who desired to go into the ministry, and they wanted to be involved in a ministry where they could both serve, be mentored, uh, they, could, they could be a blessing, and also learn as we all make mistakes in, in the early days. Well, all along the way, we'll just put it that way. And um, so I'm very excited about uh, having Braxton preach this evening. Um, I don't know if you guys remember uh, Josh Zacharias, but he stayed uh, in our prophet's chamber for a couple of months over the summer. He was helping with a church plant um, up in Baltimore, and now he's in Australia. And right before Josh was heading back down to Pensacola, where he's based out of, um, Chris and I were talking to him and uh, said, you know, Pastor Chris is getting ready to go into the chaplaincy, and we're looking for an assistant. And so if you, as you travel, of course, he, he's a missionary, travels all the time. If there's anyone that you meet that you think might be someone that we should reach out to or that would like to reach out to us, you know, connect us. You've spent some time at our church, you know what our church is like culturally, you know, um, the preaching and, and those kinds of things. And uh, he said, actually, I have a friend and I'd like to try to connect you guys. And so within a couple of days, um, that was the first time that I was able to meet Braxton over the phone. And so I'm looking forward to having him preach tonight. I'm also looking forward to us uh, getting to interview him after the service. And uh, I've gone through a significant process myself, which I'm going to share with you during our meeting um, and kind of share with you some of those details. But I'm looking forward to having him preach. So Braxton, come on up and preach the word, please. All right. Good evening. All right. Um, you know, Nat, that was, uh, that's my favorite hymn. So having to request um, Dwelling in Beulah Land, that is one of my favorites. And even more so, which I find very encouraging, is that you guys really belt out on the praise God. Um, back home when we do the victory in Jesus, we get to that part where you um, they yell, sold, and I'm the only one in my church that does that. Growing up in the Midwest, that's a very big part of, a, I guess, camp ministry would be just having to just yell out and bring, be, bring some life to the hymns. And uh, it was very encouraging. So thank you, Nat, for having to request that. If you guys would, though, open up to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. One uh, one summer, I had the opportunity to live in um, Montana, just right outside Glacier National Park. Absolutely gorgeous part of the country. If you have a chance to go, I would highly encourage it just because um, it is uh, just a great gem. You get to see God's beauty, his majesty through it. Um, but one of the things the family I was staying with, their backyard was a mountain backdrop. And it was absolutely gorgeous, and I, could, and I loved having to wake up in the morning and just look out the window, and then boom, there was this wonderful mountain. Well, my wife and I were going back for a wedding a number of years later, and while we were there, we're kind of looking around. Um, we we're driving from Spokane over for the wedding, and unfortunately, the time of the year was not great. It was just very, very foggy. It was really overcast pretty well. Um, you just couldn't see much. So we got to my friend's house, and I say back here, and we look at the back window, and there was just this wall of clouds that were, you almost couldn't see any part of the mountain just because of the rain, different things like it. And the perspective was a little skewed. We couldn't see what I, we knew was there. Sometimes in life, things come the way that we, we want to view God, we try and see him, but we can't quite see it through circumstances. Even more so, I like to think about is when we look at men in the Bible, David, Moses, Joseph, all of them had this unique relationship with God. I don't know about you, but maybe growing up or while I was in college or something like that, I, I read about these men and I was like, how do they get such a great relationship with God? How can I have a similar relationship? Maybe for you, maybe let's make it, bring it from the Bible and let's make it a little bit more personal. Maybe it's you have a really close friend, a coworker that seems like have this amazing relationship with God. 
those pastors, maybe think of Pastor Roche, and you think about how he has an amazing relationship with God and think, oh, I can never have anything quite like that. Maybe it's your spouse, and they just have this very close-knit relationship. But one of the things that as we see, especially in the life of David, is that he never, he had a proper perspective of God's goodness. He always was able to really see God through the circumstances, through everything, and just focus on what was going on. So much to say, though, that one of the things that hinders that view of God, and I think this happened in David's life from time to time, was sin. I think about 1 Timothy, how Paul was writing to him, and he says in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 17, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am chief. Paul recognized that he was a sinner. But it doesn't end there. How be it? But for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Christ Jesus might show forth all long suffering, for a pattern to them which pattern them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting, not unto the king of eternal, immortal, invisible, the one and only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul, even though I had this recognition that he was a sinner. He's still focused on what Christ, the gospel, had to offer. So much so that we can see that God wants you to have a proper perspective of his goodness. Sometimes it's hard to see. Do you, the question tonight you could be asking yourself is, during my circumstances, is God good? Let's look at the passage here. Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my God. My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and the excellent in whom all my delight. Their sorrow shall be multiplied, that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names to my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night season. I have the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my glory rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And the last, thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Let us pray. Dear Father, Lord, thank you today. Thank you for just the church and the encouragement, the, the opportunities I've had to talk to them over the last few days. I pray that as I present this, that it just not be um, a message from me, but it'll be um, a letter, a love letter to you, from you, Father, to these believers, that we can be encouraged, that they will see you and focus on you above all else. Praise Son's precious and holy name. Amen. The first thing I want us to know is how David begins the psalm. And it's just kind of a, a simple prayer. He begins with this idea of preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. He kind of he begins immediately saying, Lord, I need, I'm trusting in you. I, I'm trusting in what you're doing. Preserve me. Help protect me from the different things that are needed. What's going on? A few passages that Mention preserve. Now, preserve is a request for protection in many aspects. It's not just a physical, it could be emotional, spiritual, uh, just protection in general. But he says here in Psalm 37, 32, verse 7, Thou art my hiding place, thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance, Selah. He's our hiding place, protects us from trouble. He's hoping that, Lord, things are going on in my life. I'm trusting in you. Psalm 140, verse 4. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me 
from the violent man who hath purpose to overthrow my goings. Satan's going to attack us. And he's going to seek us to destroy us. Lord, I, we need your protection. It's not what I can do to protect myself, but it's what you are able to do. Even more so, it's, it's 2 Timothy. We see in the New Testament, it says, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul knew that he, to trust the Lord, he had to keep working and keep trusting and seeking to what he had to do. And he said, Lord, protect me for the job that you have at hand. Help me to stay focused on what you have. And when time we go into any work, having to turn our eyes to God is going to be the key. And the first thing we see is having to protect the Lord, or is this this God is protecting. But it's more than just preserve me, O God. That's where it begins. Now, we're going to look at several things here, and it's going to, each point is going to almost parallel with David's observation. This observation is not just something that I want us to say, like, all right, well, this is David observing. I want you guys to put yourself in David's footsteps and say, can you observe a similar thing in your life? To help put yourself in perspective. David, for instance, was observing O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my God, and my goodness extended unto thee. But to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent, in whom is all my delight. Part of me wonders, I read through this, is um, there's not a period of time when it says David wrote this. It could have been older, it could have been younger, it could have been somewhere in the middle. But as I really kind of think through here, and I'm reading, I wonder if David's sitting there, shepherding, and he's looking, and he sees his brothers, and David is kind of, it seems like an outcast to his family. We definitely see several interactions where he is just kind of rejected. When you're rejected at, if, at work or anything like that, he's looking for a way to, he wants to be accepted by those people, and I think David's kind of recognizing that he wants to be accepted by them. But he recognizes that at the same time, though, that while he's trying to maybe please his brothers, that God's not overly pleased on what he, how he's trying to go about this. So much so that he recognizes, he says, God, you're, just got to, you're my God. I had to turn back to you. Keep trusting in what you are doing. He saw how shallow this observation was and how he could, it didn't please God. So instead, he had this reaction where he says, all right, let's respond. He goes, in, well, sorry, wrong passage their sorrows. So he's seeing that, you know, my brothers, my family, the world, their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Only truth can be found in you, God, having to see what you are doing, how you are working. Their drink offering of blood will I not offer, nor take their names into my lips. He was saying, Lord, my lips will only be for you. Not the gods, the men around me, the nations around me, but only for you, Lord. He knew God was protecting him. And he was, we, see, we definitely see that later as he's talking about with Saul, that he is, Lord, you protected me from the bear, from the lion. He, you will do another work here. And that's because he recognized and he said, God's protecting me. He had this proper perspective of God's goodness and how he was working, even working with the sheep and saying, God, you are doing a mighty work. I'm trusting in you above all else. You know, Romans 1.32, For who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. He was recognizing that when he would take pleasure in someone else's sin, he was guilty of that sin. He wanted to make sure, one of the things that makes David a man after his God's own heart is the way that he responds to sin. He wanted to recognize that, God, you are working and you are to be glorified. But God is not only protecting, and David saw this, but he also knew that God was providing his first observation here 
And I, to me, when I first read this, as we read in, in verse 5, the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Reading through this, there was a passage that immediately came to mind. That was Hebrews 13, 5, and 6. All right. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have and hath said. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that I may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What man shall do unto me? David was saying here, and he's trusting his Lord. You are my important. You are my inheritance. Whatever is before me, whatever is going on, I'm going to turn and trust in you. You will never leave me nor forsake me. What man hath to say, whether you revile me or whatever, Father, I'm turning unto you. Several things are to be noted here, though. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance. This inheritance is this idea of a possession. We think about the prodigal son. He wanted his inheritance early. All of the possessions his father would have to him that he would be able to work and he'd be able to just say, God, give me what is, un- what is owned unto me. Work with that. Give me what is mine, Father. Dad, come on, give it here. I, you're, you're, you're dead to me. And he goes, God, wherever I'm at, my inheritance, my possessions, I have to thank for you. I can't be covetous of what other men are doing or what other people have, but saying rather, you are enough. Continues on, it says, inheritance and of my cup. Several times throughout scripture, you'll see how a cup is being referenced to someone's position. I think about Joseph, how he had his cup and he said, give it to, he said, put this cup in, you know, Benjamin's bag and hide it there. We also had the one where we talk about the, the wine or the, about, again, back to Joseph, about the guy who tastes the cup for the Pharaoh. Uh, Jesus says, pass this cup from me. It's his position of recognizing what he had. Even as a lowly shepherd or as king of the nation, he knew that God had given him, the Lord can take away. He's put him in this position. He's trusting in God. The lines are falling to me in pleasant places, yea, I have a goodly heritage. This placement, where you're located, I, where I'm at currently is I'm teaching at a Christian school in Miami, Florida. I am from the Midwest. I'm a country boy at heart, and I am about as far from a country area as I could possibly be. Um, it's a small country of little Cuba down there in Miami. And it's not what the, my heart desires. The Lord has brought us there, and it's been such a blessing. And it was, But the Lord has worked. And I've been so thankful I've been there. And it was having to turn and trust the Lord saying, you are working in this place. You have me here for a reason. I have to trust you and see what you are doing at all times. It's not only that, but it's having to recognize that you put me here. Let me be useful here. Well, that could be a job at work, the place you are working. It could be the part of the country. Different things by having to trust that God, you are working. The whole time reading this passage, I don't know if this kind of reminiscent to you of Joseph's life and what's been going on and having to say, God, you've put me over this house. You brought me here. It's been hard. But Joseph has this passage that he starts really, I think he started recognizing, you know, God, I'm trusting in you. Yeah, the Lord was always with him. I think Joseph was always trusting, but there is this portion of time that things start to just, I I just see a little change. It's in Genesis 41, 51. It says, and Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For God hath said, 
for God hath made me forget all my toll in my father's house. I wonder if Joseph kept always thinking back to his family. He knew the Lord was blessing him. The Lord had him here, and he kept trusting the Lord. He kept trusting the Lord. And he finally resided everything to God, saying, I'm here because how good you are. I see why you brought me here. Why I have gone through all this is to save many people. He definitely says that later on, that you meant it for evil, but God meant it to good, for good. And he says, God, I'm naming my firstborn in praise of what you've done. We have Ephra- the next verse, Ephraim's born. The next several verses after that, we talk about the seven years of plenteous, the seven years of famine that start to begin. So we have several years have passed by. Not much is said about Joseph's life or what has happened. But the first verse of the next chapter. Now when Jacob saw there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said and says, why do you look upon one another? And he starts sending his sons back here. Joseph was content on where he's at. Joseph Hart, I believe, was always to hopefully be able to work back to get to his family. We see that in his interaction with his brothers in the next few chapters. His heart was there and he kept trusting the Lord. And he's saying, Lord, I love you. I'm seeking you. I'm, trying to, I'm focusing on you during these circumstances. I'm trying to keep this proper perspective of how you're working. And you're providing for me. But it would be really nice to see my brothers. It would be really nice to see my family. And upon finally giving that over to God, you see this immediate, almost like this immediate thing of the Lord brings them in. And his reaction, though, David's observation and reaction to provision, I will. David's response is, I will bless the Lord who hath given me. Wait, I, did I drop a jump spot? No, I'm right where I'm sorry. I will bless the Lord who hath given me the counsel. My reins also instruct me to the night seasons. I have said the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. When someone starts providing and you see how God is taking care of it, it's very easy to just say, Lord, whatever the circumstances, I give you control. David trusts in God during all of them. He got sent to the battlefield at just the right time. He was the man for the right season to be there. He was the man for Israel for the right season. He was able to prepare everything for Solomon. He was trusting in God. Maybe, it, maybe he's writing this, this chapter as a, as a king and saying, God, I can't rule these people right without you leading. Take me to where you want to go. It was this idea of submission, placing himself under God. If he was the king, he's the most powerful person. How easy is it to get prideful and pumped up, which we do see in David's life. And he constantly had to come back saying, Lord, let me place you under Let me place you under what is necessary. David saw that the Lord was protecting. The Lord was providing, which made it very easy to let God begin presiding. It wasn't just that the Lord was presiding and what the Lord was doing. I see this almost parallel between the next few passages. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My, fr- my flesh shall rest in hope. I'm going to skip number 10. I'll come back here in a second. Thou wilt show me the path of life. Verse 11. In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. First part, we, like I said, I see this parallel. My, therefore, my heart is glad. Thou wilt show me the path of life. As we kind of think about the heart, we look at the culture today and how heart is, says, follow your heart. The heart is what you want. It's where everything, you know, whatever your heart says, do. Scripture does have a little content, a little things to start saying about that. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Proverbs 4, 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Psalms 119, 9 through 11. Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? 
by taking heed thereto according to thy word. With thy whole heart have I sought thee. David also recognized that there was a, an about face. The, the heart is deceitfully wicked. I have to give it to you. Let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sit against thee. If the heart is deceitfully wicked, there's so many things that are problems with our heart. David's response was, fill it with scripture, fill it with God. That we can trust him, turn to him. You know, we think about what makes us glad that joy makes us, brings life. This following the Lord and letting him have control, the path of life, his word is a lamp into my feet, is showing that he is leading the path. Having to follow God brings gladness. I mean, we see earlier on in the passage, it says, their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. So if this path following another God is sorrow, the um, antithesis of that would be to follow after God, which would bring joy and happiness. But it's not just there. It's not just being glad. And my glory rejoiceth. And thy presence is fullness of joy. I love coming home at the end of a day of a long day of work. Why is that, would you think? I get to come home to my house of two kids and my wife. I enjoy their presence. He's rejoicing because of the presence with God. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Just doing a quick search, I just put in rejoice and joy. Just, or I just put in just the word rejoice. And almost every passage I read where they mention the word joy, in the same verse, if not in the few verses around it, rejoicing is mentioned. They, they're, they're hand in hand. This inward joy brings out this outward praise. David was focusing on what God was doing, even more so that he could always find it, even in the hardest of situations. And the best part, it wasn't just that, but his flesh shall also rest in hope at thy right hand there is pleasures forevermore. Resting is not what we have done, but what God is in. Resting in what? The finished work that he's done. Now, in the passage it talks about Christ having to be placed at the right hand of God and seeing what he is doing. It's having to trust and find this closeness. By this goes right back again. Finding closeness to God. Bringing this joy having to be close to him. Noah Webster describes this pleasure that's for pleasures forevermore is the same kind of pleasure as being near somebody. Having to smell something pleasant, a rose, a flower. So he gave several examples. Harmony is pleasant to hear. A sweet treat is pleasant to taste. They go hand in hand. Pleasure and resting in what God has done. Now, I said I skipped verse number 10. If you were to read verse number 10, there's only one person that comes to mind. Thine holy one, Christ. At the center of what, how he was letting God be in control was Christ. If you read throughout this passage over and over, Christ is pointed to and it's centered on Christ. If you would, turn with me to Acts 2. Acts 2. There's this Christ-centered observation. We have Acts 2. He begins um, in verse 14. Peter, the, uh, the, you have days of Pentecost. They're in the upper room. The, the, the windows sway open. The, what sounds like a gust of air coming in. Almost like tongues of fire on top of people's heads. Peter then begins this sermon that converts multitude of people. And it begins here in verse 14, and he continues on. He starts talking about how the Lord is working. And he comes in. Now there's actually a parallel section all the way down in verse number 25. 
For David speaketh concerning, for I saw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I shall not be moved. That I, sorry, should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Thou hast made me to know the ways of life. Thou shalt make, my, shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Paul was quoting Psalm 16, 9 through 11, that last little point we were at. And he starts coming here and starts expounding upon how Christ is what's going on. Christ is working. During the circumstances, things were getting rough for the Jews. And he's saying, look to Christ. Stay focused on what Christ has done. Constantly pointing to him. Christ was always the focus. And Christ crucified was something worth rejoicing about. At that time, I don't think that was something worth rejoicing. They were struggling. They were being challenged. But, the, but Paul, Peter comes along and he says, rejoice that Christ is dead. Be thankful because something greater has come in. Maybe you're thinking here and you're reading through and you're listening about how God's goodness and his proper perspective and how we're able to view God and how he's able to protect. And his protection is there. Maybe it's this proper perspective how God's providing, trusting in how he's working and taking care of our daily lives, our daily needs. And having to come behind him and saying, God, I don't know what you're doing right now, but I will follow. Trusting you at all times. Or maybe it's this final proper perspective having to trust that God let you lead my life. Take things as they're needed to be. Constantly focusing on what you have. David recognized that to have this proper perspective, he had to focus on Christ. We really find, we read throughout Scripture over and over that it was this constant, daily focusing on him. And if anything, David has this great testimony of showing God, but if I can extend this to today's vernacular, he was showing Christ over and over. It didn't matter the circumstances. He had this proper perspective. So going back to my earlier question about how there are things in our life and how we keep looking for, we see David, we see Moses, and how they had, they had this proper perspective. They had this intimate relationship. Do you have a capability of having to trust God, saying, I'm trusting in you what you are doing. Turning and loving you and focusing on you above all else. Um, Pastor, I, I leave this with you as we were, to, um, as you'd like to end the service in your manner. Psalm 16 is a great psalm. It's focused on the resurrection. And one of the things that I think really uh, is drawn out of the psalm is that God created us for uh, a relationship that is rich and meaningful and it is eternal. And it's all contingent on something. Christ has to die, so there's a basis for us to have this relationship. And two, he has to triumph over death. He has to rise from the dead. And uh, that's really the heart of this psalm. And so I want to remind you this evening, let's rejoice in the fact that we have a Savior who died for us. He triumphed over death, and he offers to us everlasting pleasure. He says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Everything in our lives needs to be channeled back to the gospel, and it needs to be lived in the light of that. And so I think that's really the great challenge of the evening. Let's go ahead and let's turn in our hymn books, please, to hymn 391. And the song, uh, the song that we're going to sing is I Am Resolved, 391. And probably the resolve this evening is to focus back on the gospel and to recognize that that is what gives us the relationship we have with God. And that's what we need to, uh, we need to delight in as his people. So let's stand together, 391. 
We'll sing the first, the third, and the fourth verses together. Let's go ahead and let's bow together for a word of prayer, close out our service. We'll take uh, probably about a 10-minute break, and then after that, uh, we'll come back and uh, we'll uh, go into a question-answer and time, and I will uh, talk to you a little bit about uh, just how uh, we want to approach this, and I want to give you some insight into the questions that I've already asked uh, Braxton and his wife. So let's bow together for prayer, and then we'll take a little break. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the 16th Psalm. A psalm that reminds us that every good and perfect gift that we enjoy is rooted back in the fact that Christ triumphed over death. What he purchased for us and what we have because of the resurrection. And Father, I pray that we would be a people who, uh, who live like we have these great treasures. Uh, who live like uh, God really is our greatest delight. And the eternal joy that we'll experience with him is something that uh, really sustains us through some of the darkest moments of our lives and the most challenging moments of our lives. May we see your glory and may we bask in it. We ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.